You're listening to a Soulfire Productions podcast. Welcome to Wellness Realness, where we get very real about all things health and wellness, physical, mental, financial, and spiritual. I'm your host, Christina Rice, a nutritional therapy practitioner and energy healer turned holistic business coach for ambitious entrepreneurs. And I'm here to help you up-level every aspect of your life. Remember my disclaimer, the information in this podcast is general health and nutrition advice and not a replacement for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. You can find an endless amount of content from me and join my online membership at christinaricewellness.com. And if you want exclusive behind-the-scenes content and my most unfiltered self, DM a screenshot of your iTunes rating and review to Wellness Realness Crew on Instagram and request to follow my super secret account. You can also join the Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe Facebook group to hang out with other listeners in the crew. Get ready for some wellness realness. I am so excited for you to hear today's episode with Dr. Jill Krista. Dr. Krista is a naturopathic doctor, a best-selling author, and a nationally recognized health educator on mold-related illness. She helps people recover their health after exposure to toxic mold, which is something I have personally been dealing with for the past few years, and her resources have been so, so incredibly helpful for me. I love her approach and highly recommend looking into her work if you have not already, especially if you are struggling with mold illness, of course. Her book, Break the Mold, is amazing for anyone who wants actionable steps to conquer their health challenges related to mold exposure. And in this podcast, you will get a ton of helpful information from Dr. Jill Krista. I can't recommend her book enough. And you can also find her on Instagram at Dr. Jill Krista and on her website, drkrista.com. That's D-R-C-R-I-S-T-A. Com. As someone who understands firsthand how overwhelming and confusing it can be when you are struggling with mold and how debilitating the symptoms can be, I am just so grateful that Dr. Krista shares so much of her knowledge and I can't recommend her work enough. Hopefully, if you are also struggling with any mysterious symptoms, whether or not you know it's mold illness, definitely check this out. And if you want the video interview, version of this podcast. I have it posted in my uplevel membership. If you go to christinaricewellness.com slash membership, you can sign up there if you are not already a member, but that's where I post pre-released podcast video interviews. So you can see our faces as we discuss. And I usually post interviews a few months in advance of when they release. So this interview has been up on uplevel for the last two months or so. So if you enjoy the show and you want to get exclusive access to pre-released podcasts in the video version, the uncut video interviews, then make sure you check out the membership on my website. You also get access to hundreds of hours of video training content related to all things health and wellness, spirituality, up-leveling your health and life, and also a huge library of exclusive blog posts that outline different healing protocols I use with clients, as well as online courses and Q&A calls with me and the other amazing humans in the Uplevel membership. So if you're interested in that, just go to christinaricewellness.com slash membership and you can find all the details there. All right. I will not keep you waiting any longer. Here is the incredible Dr. Jill Krista. 
I'm curious if I am the only one, but my Ned bottle has been getting low quite quickly <laughs> in the last few months. Just me? I was just thinking about how I've been using Ned for a few years now, literally since its conception. This is the only CBD product I will use because it's not just CBD, it is full spectrum hemp and it is the highest quality full spectrum hemp out there. And when you're looking for a CBD, you really want to make sure you are getting a full spectrum hemp oil because the true power of hemp, all the healing properties come from the entourage effect of the cannabidiol alongside all of the other phytocannabinoids that complement that CBD. So Ned full spectrum hemp oil also contains the other compounds like CBG, CBC, CBDA, CBGA, and those lovely smelling hemp terpenes. The only other ingredient in Ned is non-GMO MCT oil, which I love because most other products out there on the market have flavorings and fillers and inflammatory oils. Ned goes above and beyond with their production of the full spectrum hemp oil. They only extract from hemp flowers, also known as the buds, versus other products that usually extract from the stalks and seeds of the hemp plant. And they also only use a really gentle, slow ethanol-based extraction method done at room temperature. So there's no high heat or high pressure used. That's why you actually notice a difference with Ned Full Spectrum Hemp Oil and you probably haven't with other hemp oils or it might not be as powerful as you were hoping it would have been. That's why quality is so important. And Ned goes the extra mile by energetically infusing all of their products with the words love and gratitude. This is based on the findings that you can read about in the book, The Hidden Messages in Water that talk about how words like love and gratitude can actually change the molecular structure of water, or in this case, hemp oil. And their products are attuned to the frequencies of 3.5 hertz and 7.83 hertz, which helps to promote balance and grounding. And these binaural beats are associated with remedying depression and anxiety while promoting DNA repair. This product is incredible for helping with sleep, helping with any insomnia, decreasing anxiety, depression, any type of inflammation, body pain, joint pain, inflammatory response. And I think a lot of us can use extra stress relief right now and a really strong anti-inflammatory. And for all my ladies out there, if you haven't yet checked out their natural cycle collection, please, please do. This has been incredible for helping to balance out my hormones naturally. I recommend this to so many of my clients, my family, my friends, and for me, regulating my period and making it a breeze and super predictable and trackable. This has been a game changer because I used to struggle with the most painful periods. I never knew when they were coming and now everything is on track. And I love that this is just a super natural way to balance out your hormones. So if you want to try out any products from Ned, like their full spectrum hemp oil, their natural cycle collection, their hemp infused body butter, or their hemp infused lip balms, all are amazing. Hop on over to helloned.com and use my code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S, for 15% off. Again, that's helloned.com and use my code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S, for 15% off. And when you get your bottle in the mail, make sure you tag me so I can see it. 
Dr. Krista, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I have been so, so excited to chat with you about all things moles. And to get started, maybe you could just tell my listeners a little bit about you and what you do in case they're not familiar with your work. Yeah. First, thanks so much for having me on your podcast. This is really cool. Um, So for me, I'm a naturopathic doctor. I went to naturopathic medical school and I've been in practice um, for a long time now in Wisconsin. And I ended up starting in primary care practice, which is what we're trained to do in naturopathic medicine. We're trained as primary care docs who know some things about natural medicine, can do functional medicine, integrative care, that kind of thing. And I found myself in a Lyme endemic area, meaning we had a lot of cases of Lyme disease. And when you use the principles of naturopathic medicine of find and treat the cause, and of course we address all the other things, you know, diet and sleep and I have this huge toolbox with plants and homeopathy and hydrotherapy. A lot of my Lyme patients got better. And um, there was this other group that just wasn't responding in the way that we would expect. And that's kind of a cardinal thing for Lyme disease anyway, is you give all the right seeming things and things don't work. And you're like, scratch, scratch, you know, what's going on there? Um, And so we had this small group of patients that just weren't getting better and working better. And God bless them. They kept coming back to see me. You know, what else have you got? And in one of those patients, they found black mold in his home. And that's when I started down this road of understanding mold and an expanded idea of what mold can do to a body. And as I got into the research, I thought, wow, I wonder if that's what's going on with this other Lyme patient and this other Lyme patient. And sure enough, there was either a a current or a past water damage building exposure that was part of them not being able to get better. So mold was the block in the way of getting better from Lyme disease. And it turns out that when you look at all the research, which is primarily animal research, that's the case for a lot of, a lot of chronic complex conditions. So um, I ended up then developing a course for doctors on mold training and kind of became my niche, you know, weird neurological diseases. That's kind of my favorite <laughs> thing to work with is the people that can't find answers anywhere else. So we have Lyme disease. Um, pandas and pans, traumatic brain injury, and mold. Um, And then mold happened to me. So I moved in, my family moved into a home. All three levels had some extent of water damage and you never would have known it. That was the thing that just blew me away. I walked into this house and you, it didn't smell musty. It wasn't an old house. There were all these things that, that I had predefined in my head of what mold endless looked like or a moldy house and it didn't fit any of the boxes. So when the flood was revealed, it revealed itself actually to us, it turned out that we had you know, extensive water damage, extensive mold toxicity, and I didn't catch it. And mm. it wasn't until I saw the water damage that I would, or the flood that I was like, oh, oh my gosh, this is mold. And we knew exactly what to do. We had this whole, I had this whole toolbox from my years of practice working with mold sick patients. And it was then that I realized I really felt duty bound to write a book so that I could share this with people because it's all things primarily to get better from mold illness. It's all things that you can access through diet and herbs and nutrition and homeopathy. So I knew what to do and I felt kind of, um, you know, that felt a little greedy almost of like, hey, I've got all this knowledge and there's so many really sick people. There's not enough mold literate doctors because I hadn't, you know, really gotten the reach out there yet. Um, and my approach and the way I was trained in naturopathic medicine is so distinct and unique. 
So I was getting a lot of people that weren't responding from other protocols and coming to see me. And I thought, yeah, I'm just going to put this out there. And it turned out there were a lot more people needing the help than, than I ever imagined. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm so glad you wrote that book. And I mean, a lot of people still just don't even know about mold. I, I you know, I bring it up to people who aren't really in this world and they're like, what does that mean? And they, they only associate mold <laughs> with like what's on their bread in the, in the, in the fridge. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. But I really want to revisit your point where you're saying how it wasn't what you thought a moldy place looked like, because I had the same mm-hmm. experience. My last apartment, I'm like, it's this nice, white, bright, beautiful new apartment. And it was making me so sick. And I yeah. was in denial for a long time because I'm like, it, it doesn't look moldy, right? Right, right. And, and denial I, is part of mold. Too. <laughs> That's one of the things that mold does to your brain. It makes you stay because mm. wants to compost you. I mean, that's a really creepy thing to think about. But yeah, yeah. it's a very common thing. I, people just don't, it doesn't sink in, you know? Yeah, it, it doesn't. Well, I want to return to that point in a second because yeah. I've heard you talk about that <laughs> and it's super interesting. But I think there are just a lot of misconceptions around, you know, what a moldy place looks like. And people will ask, you know, like, how do I, how do I know if there's mold in here? You know, and mm-hmm. a lot of people think that if the building's new, they're fine. So um, maybe you can talk a little bit about some of the misconceptions and how to really know if the home or the building has mold. I can talk about the misconceptions for sure, but I'm much more a body expert than a building expert. Mm -hmm. So I can talk a little bit about the building stuff. Um, The misconception is that there had to have been a flood or a frank water, water, you know, running water, basically. Um, that the house has to be old or the building has to be old, um, that it, only flat roof buildings have water problems, which is patently false. <laughs> it is not true. Um, so the, the conceptions are that you have to either see it or smell it for it to be there. And then even if it is there, a lot of bad remediations happen by just covering it over. So it's perceived as like an aesthetic problem, like an ugly thing to look at. And nobody has appreciated the extensive health problem that it has created. So it's, it can be living behind building material. And if mm-hmm. the spores are not exposed to the air, you don't get any kind of indication that it's there because the toxins don't have any scent at all. And that was the case in our home. Everything was sealed very efficiently behind building materials. So none of the spores, none of the fragments were coming into the building. So we weren't having any kind of like the classic spore type reactions like allergies, asthma, sinusitis, that kind of thing. It was all mycotoxin based. And that was, that's primarily what I'm seeing in practice is majority of people who are sick from mold are sick from the mycotoxins and not the spores. Then we can talk about mycotoxins. A lot of people don't understand what those are. Yeah. Maybe you can explain what those are and like the difference. I think people just say mold mycotoxins. Same yeah, thing. <laughs> right, right. Completely different things. So mold spores, that's the, that's the living factory. And when, it, when mold dies, it breaks apart into fragments. Both of those things can secrete normal chemicals of metabolism. So I jokingly refer to them as mold farts because it's just like it's eating, it's farting, and you're getting <laughs> exposed to these things, these VOCs, aldehydes, alcohols. And we're pretty familiar with one of those, and that is, that is brewer's yeast you know, beer, wine, a lot of alcoholic fermentation is using yeast and fungal features to try to ferment and create these, these chemicals on purpose. 
so that we can imbibe them. But there's another thing. So indoor molds do the same thing. They create, they just are secreting just as their normal metabolism, alcohol, VOCs, aldehydes. But then it will also, if it feels um, threatened, mold will start to spit out these things called mycotoxins. And these are 50 times smaller than the mold. And they're not a living thing. They're actually a poisonous gas bomb that is intended to protect its territory. So if we think about like the moldy piece of bread, you know, the whole antibiotic, you know, Louis Pasteur thing, um, you have this moldy piece of bread, you have the mold in the middle, and then there's this ring of sterile area around that mold. And that ring, so mold in the middle is penicillium, and the ring on the outside is a mycotoxin of the penicillin or the, the mold penicillium trying to defend its territory. And that sterile area is where we get antibiotics. So we know how toxic, we're already familiar with <laughs> mycotoxins. We grow them on purpose for drugs. Um, you don't want that in your indoor air. And these mycotoxins can, they're so ultra fine. They can seep right through building materials. They can be under tile, behind drywall. Um, you don't even necessarily have to see the mold, but the toxins can get through and they're causing the problem. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, and I know you said you're not like a building expert, but when you are guiding patients who, you know, maybe they have, they have to move and they're like, how do I know if it's safe? Do you have a recommendation for like somewhere to start? Yeah. Especially if you're already a moldy, like you're already somebody sensitive. I find that mycotoxin dust testing works really well because it won't necessarily tell you if it's a now problem or a past problem for that house or that building but it does tell you that there has been a problem and that there are mycotoxins in the dust of that space. And that's what's a little unique about my approach that um, the, the way my understanding of it is that when your respiratory passages and your gut lining and your skin are exposed to these toxins, they're perceived as a threat to you. And so that turns on like a protective mechanism inside your own flora and there's a continuum of mold illness. So that's the first reaction is that oh, we're not safe. And then your own flora starts to act defensively instead of in community. Mm -hmm. And we kind of saw what happened with COVID. What happens with that? You run out of toilet paper, you run out of supplies, you know, like we, you need to still think and act like a community. Um, so that's one of the first reactions is that your own flora starts to act funny. And then eventually enough of those mycotoxins come into your environment, then your immune system crashes. And it gets lower and lower and lower. And then the mold from that building can actually move into your body. So you bring that sick building with you. And why that's important to kind of understand those different mechanisms in that continuum is that then if you are already sick from mold, and then you go into a building that has mycotoxins in the dust, then you're going, your internal environment says, whoop, it's just like the last place. We're just never going to get better. And then you create these, your own endogenous toxins to try to clear out or compete with the territory of that sick building. Yes. It's a circular problem. Yeah. So mycotoxin dust that. testing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Fun. Um, so let's talk about some of the, the symptoms. And I know it's, it's difficult because there are so many and they're so subtle, but how, wh what makes you think, hmm, this person might, might have mold or mycotoxin illness? Yeah. Yeah, so we know that those toxins can affect every system in the body and cause almost any symptom. So that makes it nearly impossible to diagnose. So for myself, when I was in practice, I created a clinical questionnaire. And if anybody wants that questionnaire as a downloadable PDF, 
they can go to my website slash questionnaire. So drkrista.com slash questionnaire. That's what the one I put in my book and it gives you a score. I had to create that for myself in practice because I was already seeing complex cases with Lyme disease and with other autoimmune problems. And I was having a hard time determining which were the people that had what and what, what are the things as a collective, what does that look like if you're sick from mold? Because it's different for every single person. You know, you can have a whole family exposed to the same house. And the norm is that each member of that family is getting sick in a different way because they all have a little bit different genetic situation. They all have a little bit different nutritional milieu. They all have a little bit different gut health and, you know, all of those things, the stressors on the body, where they spend time outside of the house. So we can see completely different symptom pictures for each individual person. There are some constant ones though that I see and fatigue is number one. If almost everybody who's been exposed to a water damaged building is starting to get sick from mold has some level of fatigue. And now that depends on what your starting place was. So if you were already somebody struggling with like thyroid problems and adrenal problems and hormone imbalance, you're going to feel that fatigue more during your cycle changes or something like that. But if you started as a competitive athlete, it may just be that you're starting to lose your VO2 max. So it really that fatigue can look even different from person to person, but fatigue is definitely part of it. With almost every mold sick patient I work with, there's some level of anxiousness. And I'm careful not to say anxiety because it's not like a panic disorder. It's a general feeling of restlessness or unsettled on the inside. And that can lead to lots of other things. So that can lead to insomnia. Um, you can have insomnia from mold also, but you know, this anxiousness, restlessness, inner, something's not right feeling. And some people describe it as just kind of a quickening in their gut. Like they're always just a little bit butterflied or they have a lot of social anxiety or something like that. Um, Maybe where they didn't before. So those are the features of something's changed in that person. Um, New onset food sensitivities or gut problems. It's really common. And if you grew up in a moldy house and you didn't know you've been dealing with mold all this time, it may not be new for you, but just a worsening of whatever your problem was. Um, And then there's some quirky ones that are associated with mold, like ear ringing, pelvic pain, pain with intercourse, um, any kind of neurological thing that was a problem for you made worse. So if you had a sciatica of the back and it was shooting down your leg once you got exposed to that mold. So usually we will see something respiratory, but like I said, it's not required because if you're not exposed to the spores, it won't even bother your respiratory passages. Yeah. I think I had every, every symptom, All of them. except, <laughs> except respiratory. I've never had respiratory issues, yeah. but everything else. And especially with the gut issues, I grew up in a moldy home and didn't know it. And then when I started finally addressing my gut issues in my 20s, like my early twenties, um, then I was just on all these different gut protocols for years. And mm-hmm. it's like going, like you have to get to the root. And I think a lot of people listen to this podcast have been in the same boat where they've tried everything what feels like everything but no one has really helped them figure out the root cause yep exactly and if it is well established like the that exposure is happening while you were rearing while you were growing up the biofilm development is profound you know so that's part of this whole process is that you have to knock back the fungal overburden in your body and then start to really peel away those biofilms yeah. It's amazing what we find when we uncover those, but you can't do that if you're actively sick. You know, that's just too much for your body to handle. Yeah. And 
I want to get into that in a second, but I want to go back to what you were saying before about the denial and how like (laughs) mold wants to compost you. (laughs) Like, can you speak more to that and like some of the effects it has on the brain? Absolutely. So, um, when I, when I take the 10,000 foot view above, you know, the conditions that I deal with mold, I am the most afraid of, and the one that I put the most emphasis on in treatment. Because everything else that I'm treating needs you to be alive for it to survive. So Lyme and co-infections needs you alive. Epstein-Barr virus needs you alive. Mold would prefer to have to compost you. So that you see the changes in the brain. It will actually change and rewire us at the genetic level. And it's rewiring us to be more sedentary, to be more sunphobic. So you see some, somebody that starts to say, well, I'm a night owl. I'm a night owl. You know, I'm, I'm a creative and I only get creative at night. Well, let's check them out for mold because we actually see some receptors that are blocked from mold to vitamin D, which is the sunshine vitamin. So people actually become kind of sun phobic. Movement hurts. Movement creates excess EMFs and people who have been sick from mold get, a, get more sensitive to EMFs and Normal movement creates more EMF. So they start to get more and more sedentary and it will make your brain inflamed. And part of that inflamed brain is a stubbornness and a resistance to accepting that mold is the problem. And I work with a lot of people with different environmental problems. So, you know, anything from, you know, in our area, we have a lot of atrazine in our water. We deal with a lot of lead because I live two hours from two different lead mines. And lead can be a stubborn nutrient to get out of the body, but not nearly as stubborn as mold that people are just so resistant. Oh my, so how do you get someone to accept that and start working on it? <laughs> well, I mean, testing has gotten better, so that helps us. Um, and what, what testing so, do you recommend? Yeah. So, um, in the body, I kind of take, uh, a lot of data points and take a look at that. So I'd love to use urine mycotoxin testing, the mass spect method, which is done by Great Plains and Vibrant Wellness. Um, that for me has been the most consistent, depending on what a person is doing supplementary or what their diet is and that kind of thing. That one has been um, the most unchangeable or true to their picture. That's an excretion test. So the person may, if they're really, really toxic, that might not be a really useful test for us. But there's something about somebody seeing that these mycotoxins are found in their urine on that day that, um, that has helped sell it a lot better than in the days when I used to have to look at, you know, their white count and their liver enzymes and, you know, all these other things that I was trying to find for trying to find the evidence of it. And like I said, you can bring that sick building with you. So you could be in a completely clean building, but still have mold sickness. And so not always were we finding things in their environment, you know, over the, over the nearly two decades, I've worked with a um, building biologist who's just fantastic and has taught me a ton. And there are times where she's just like, I don't know. I know they're sick. I see they're sick, but we can't find it in their building. And that's when it dawned on me. I was like, oh, this can stick with you. You know, that they can actually, I used to think, and she and I both used to say, they're just moving sick stuff. But we've had many situations where people left everything behind or an occupational exposure where the person moved to a different job, didn't take anything with them, and we're still sick. Or a student, students get really, really toxic because our student housing is bad. Military, Mm -hmm. you know, where somebody has to be moved like overseas and their stuff still hasn't caught up with them, but they're in the new space and still sick. 
So there have been enough of those cases that I'm, that's where I really developed that theory that, okay, I understand now that this, this continuum thing means you can make yourself sick if the building moved into you. Now you're the problem. Yeah. Well, and, and how common is it for the building to have mold or mycotoxins? It's most common to have it actually be a sick building. It's the rarer situation. Right. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <Sorry. laughs> well, and we're making more and more and more sick buildings. That's why, you know, someone had asked me recently, so is this just the trendy thing now? You know, is this just the trendy condition? And I said, I wish that were the case. I wish it was just something where I'm just being a really good marketer and getting the word out there. But it is because we are building more and more sick buildings in our policies and in our products. So we're going to see a lot more of it. So I would say the majority is we do end up finding something. Yeah. But can, can you get better if you, if there's mold in the building still? It's very hard. I would say I have the rare patient and granted I have a selection bias by people that know I'm, I treat complex chronic conditions. I'm not seeing your average primary care practice anymore. Um, but for me, it's the the rare person who who gets all the way better, resilient, um, mm-hmm. gets their health back, and is still in a moldy environment, which really puts renters in a tough spot. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, you get in these leases, and we have had some success with now with urine mycotoxin testing and and neuroquant MRI, showing those results to landlords and saying, "Do you want me to take this to my attorney, or do you, do you want to let me out of the lease?" Yeah, you know, not everybody is super sensitive to mold, but you do have to remember that these mycotoxins are made as bio warfare. So they're consistent enough (laughs) and they're made into chemo and they're made into um, non-rejection drugs for organ transplant. Like they are, we know how powerful they are. It's just a matter of dose and duration and your own sensitivity. So it's best to get out of the mold because it's affecting you in ways that you probably can't even tell. Yeah. And it can be like immediate relief. Like I know yeah. for me when I moved, I just, I felt like my brain turned on again and it still yeah. wasn't at a hundred, but it was like bumped me up 50%. Exactly. <laughs> if you haven't tried out Four Sigmatic Mushroom Elixirs yet, then you are seriously missing out. I'm sure you've heard by now that there's an entire kingdom of mushrooms out there far beyond the Portobello with so many different health benefits. These functional mushrooms have been used for centuries for immunity, energy, longevity, cognition, and more. When you get some of these functional mushrooms on their own though, they can kind of just taste like dirt and not very good, which is why I love Four Sigmatic because they make drinking mushrooms and superfoods delicious and easy to do. They offer mushroom coffees, mushroom superfood blends, and mushroom elixirs, and they sell tins for at-home use and single-serve packets, which are super convenient for on-the-go. All you have to do is blend the product into a cup of hot water or nut milk and just mix them in. You can also mix them into smoothies and shakes, or even just sprinkle them on top of your food. They use the highest quality ingredients, only wild-crafted or law-grown and certified organic mushrooms, and the products are tested for pesticides, heavy metals, irradiation, mycotoxins, and other factors. Four Sigmatic has so many options and I drink probably at least three of these a day, to be honest. I like to start my morning off either with their matcha latte mix, their chai latte mix with turkey tail, their mushroom coffee, or the cordyceps. I love their coffee because it does not give me the jitters. There's only 50 milligrams of 
caffeine per serving and it's mixed with other functional mushrooms like cordyceps and chaga or lion's mane and chaga. But on days when I don't want any caffeine, then I can go for their chai latte mix, which is actually caffeine free and has turkey tail in it, which is great for the gut or the cordyceps, which gives you natural energy. This is especially helpful for athletes. If I have a day where I really need to think hard, then I usually make a lion's mane latte. I just mix their lion's mane mushroom elixir with nut milk. This is great for supporting memory and concentration. And I often rotate in my chaga because it is amazing for immune support. And you know, I always end my evening with a cup of the reishi mushroom elixir mix, which is incredible for supporting stress levels and helping you sleep. I love this a couple hours before bed, or I'll drink some of their mushroom hot cacao mix, which has reishi mixed in. I have been drinking Four Sigmatic Elixirs for years and cannot imagine my life without them. There's a noticeable difference and the benefits really just add up over time. So I definitely recommend checking them out. And I just want to say, if you're looking for a clean protein powder, check out the Four Sigmatic protein powder because it is great. So if you want to stock up on Four Sigmatic products, just head on over to foursigmatic.com slash CRW and use my discount code CRW for 15% off. Again, that's foursigmatic.com, F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com and use my code CRW for 15% off. And the next time you make a little Four Sig latte, post it to your Instagram stories and tag me so I can see what you're making. I also would love for you to chat a little bit about the connection between mold and mycotoxins and um, mast cell activation syndrome. Very common con- connection. Mold is one of the chief causes of mast cell activation and histamine issues. Um, it's not the only thing, you know, of course we see other things like Bartonella, um, but yeah, it can, it's so consistently found as a core problem to mast cell activation that is stunning. And we know that there are a few enzymes. There's still not a lot of research on this, especially human research, but there are a couple enzymes that it seems like once you have mold colonization, meaning that it's starting to affect your flora to the point where we're seeing um, invasive candidiasis and, you know, some of your own flora start to really become invasive, like Mm -hmm. an infection. Um, At that point, we see that some of these enzymes get triggered to turn on to make you a histamine super producer. So we see it a lot. And, uh, you know, histamine issues, we, did, we have done a lot of racing around trying to make sure people are on certain diets and that, you know, don't get too hot, take, you know, tepid showers and just all these things. And then when you treat them old and you get them on the antifungal and all the stuff in my book, that repair and protect stuff, like the histamine stuff just chills out. Mm-hmm. You can finally have fish again and spinach and, you know, have toast in the morning and not be red for three hours afterwards. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it can be really overwhelming for people who may, they, maybe they're very sure they know they have mold um, exposure or mycotoxin exposure and they're really sick and they have all these gut issues. They have thyroid mm-hmm. problems. They know they have heavy metals. There's mold. Maybe there's lime. Maybe there's, you know, histamine intolerance going on. And I think a lot of people just don't know where to start. Yes. Yeah. So if you also have mast cell problems and histamine problems and mold, I would start with chilling out the histamine, making that your number one focus. And what's so cool about that is that a lot of those are the same thing as mm-hmm. the things that protect you from mold. So it's the good fit, good fats like DHA, 
It's going to be the quercetin. You know, there are these things that, um, and again, those, those resources are in my book with dosages and everything. Um, once you get that histamine, that whole process calming, you may not get it calmed down all the way, of course, because if you have colonization, that has to be addressed. Just to get that calmed down, you know, I can get someone on a protocol for two weeks and we can start them soon on the antifungals. And it's just like, there's just this relaxation of the, that hyper amperage tone in the body that's on fire. That's saying, I'm not safe. I'm not safe. I'm not safe. Will somebody just listen to me? I'm not safe. You know, and that, I feel like that's the point where, when you get to that histamine thing where the body's like, Hey, you know, listen to this. So, you know, a suggestion is if you do know you have mold toxicity or mold exposure, maybe don't wait that long. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what about, what about with all the gut infections like SIBO, you know, Mm -hmm. candida, whatever else is happening. Yeah. Um, So that's really common to see a comorbidity of that. And um, if there's practitioners listening, I highly recommend Dr. Narala Jacoby's SIBO training. Mm. Um, There are things, there's so much, if we did a Venn diagram, there's so much correlation between the two. It's uncanny. Um, it's a, it's a little understandable if we think about how those mycotoxins work, it's really important for people to understand mycotoxins are fat soluble. They're called lipophilic. So they seep into all the fattier tissues of our body. So that's, you know, regular old fat, but that's also our bone marrow, our brain. I don't know if most people know that our brain is mostly fat. Um, the linings of our nervous system, the lining of our gut is incredibly fatty. And then we have fat lining our vital organs. So all of those places get toxic from mycotoxins. When you get it in the body, the body tries to get rid of it through the gut and also urinating it. But in that gut, you can get this recycling of the toxins and that affects the nervous system of the gut and also the lining of the gut. We know these mycotoxins thin the lining, cause leaky gut syndrome. But the connection to SIBO is that you have all that disruption in the immune system, the lining of the gut, the leaky gut, the food allergies, but also they're impairing now the nervous system of the gut, which is a very local reflexive kind of nervous system called the myenteric plexus. Once that gets toxic to a level, you no longer get normal peristalsis. So you get motility issues, which is very consistent with SIBO. So even if you didn't have SIBO, if you have mold toxicity, you can get SIBO because Mm -hmm. then your gut isn't pushing things along the tube, so to speak. And candida, not everybody with mold has candida overgrowth. Not everybody with candida has mold water damage exposure. So candida can be from, you know, really crappy diet choices, can be from hormone changes, going on an antibiotic, which as we know, many of those are mycotoxins. So, um, but when it is, we see them together a lot. And that's why part of my protocol, a lot of the plants that I have in, that I put in the book are both candida and mold killing. So they do the double effect and you can get that I I just think of it as like the body just gets overburdened with fungus and fungal family stuff, Mm -hmm. fungal family features. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if somebody has some type of gut infection, should they address that to start or just go straight for the root and go for the mold first? That's a tricky question because my tools address both. Okay. You know, that's a beautiful thing about plants is they have all these other mechanisms of action. That's why researchers find them very frustrating to research because they're not just a single action drug. And so you try to do data crunching on like 
eight different mechanisms. Oh, it's anti-inflammatory, it's immune modulatory, it's you know, an antioxidant, and, and it also kills things in the fungus family, which is both candida and mold. You know, that, that's what's nice about those tools is that I'm getting so many mechanisms of action. Like garlic, that's a beautiful plant. It's cardioprotective, it's an anti-obesity, it protects you from diabetes. It's also a mold killer. It's also helpful for cardiovascular disease. You know, it's just like, geez, how many things can this one plant do? And it's yummy, you know? So it's, <laughs> I like those kind of remedies, things that are yummy to eat and drink. <laughs> yeah. So what about like, you know, if someone starts a protocol like this, how long does it usually take until they start to feel a little bit better? Well, the first part of my protocol is avoidance. So I have it in the book, this little orange, because I feel like the orange really depicts sort of the, the whole picture of how to get better from mold. The first two steps, which is, I'll go through the five steps. It's yeah. avoidance, fundamentals, protect, repair, and then fight the mold. And if the reason why avoidance is so important, my teacher, Dr. Walter Crinian, used to say that the first three steps of any toxic exposure are avoidance, avoidance, and avoidance. So avoidance is so important. It takes up the first three steps. Mm -hmm. um, I take that to also mean avoidance of the hobbies that might be making it worse. Like I have a guy who's a brewmaster. He had to take a break from that um, in order to get better. Um, your diet, there are some foods that either are fungus, like mushrooms, cheese, um, or there are things that, that tend to be toxic with mycotoxins or contaminated and or things that just grow more candida. So more fungus loves carbohydrates. So if you're feeding a lot of carbohydrate, you're, you're not doing yourself any kind of favors. So avoidance, 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 avoidance. So getting out of the mold, remediating, um, whatever you can do to get away from that mold exposure is, is really important. So the avoidance and then the fundamentals, which is also diet, sleep. You know, If you go into a naturopathic doctor, a functional medicine doctor, you'd get lectured about all of these things. You know being on a circadian rhythm, getting good sleep, dealing with your trauma, all of these things. So those are so important. They need to be peeled completely. And that's why I made them the outer two layers of the orange because it's like the outer orange layer, white fluffy layer. You can't get to the meaty section in the middle or the juicy section without peeling an orange completely. Otherwise you'd be eating the you know, sour peel. So the inside sections, you pick and choose what's right for your body and the things that are that help your Achilles heal, however it is that you are weaker. For some people, it's going to be more chemical sensitivity. For some people, it's more gut health. For some people, it's more allergies and asthma. So everybody kind of has their, some people's skin, you know, whatever it is that is your weak link, then you can, you can pick and choose and target the things in the middle that really fit for you. So now I have forgotten your original question because I went me, off on my spin. Me too, but I have other questions, so it's fine. All right, go for it. <laughs> this is great. I'm like, I'm like drinking up everything you're saying. So let's go to the, to the diet because, mm. I mean, I love diet things on this yeah. show. So let's talk more about, more about the diet um, and some of the common foods, and particularly because most of my audience already eats really clean. Like yes. they're eating a whole foods based, like paleo diet, most of them are close yeah. to that. And so what kind of foods would, would that type of person want to pay attention to maybe getting rid of? One of the trends that I get a lot of heat for is, um, I take people off kombucha. Oh. That is the thing that is, you know, it's very, it's one of those things that has been aligned with being a healthy person. 
-hmm. is fermented foods, drinking kombucha, that kind of thing. And yes, that is absolutely true. If you don't have this other massive impact on your body, telling your body to grow more fungus. So if you are a healthy person, you're eating a healthy diet and you don't have water damage building exposure, fermented foods are absolutely on my recommended list. But if you're malt sick, they're a no-no. And I learned that the hard way because I was doing, you know, what a naturopathic doctor does. It's like, oh, you need to eat, you know, more fermented foods and it's going to be good for your body. And people got sicker. Mm -hmm. So yeah, as far as avoidance, I take people off of fermented foods. Like some of the things on my no-no list are pretty obvious. They would be things that, like I said, are yeast or fungus. So mushrooms go, um, anything made with yeast. So yeasted breads go away. Cheeses go away that are, you know, more aged. but I also take away those contaminated foods. And we know that there are some foods that are really, really highly contaminated and peanuts is one of them. And I do wonder if that isn't what's behind this anaphylactic reaction to peanuts is that there's actually a moldy building exposure and now you've eaten something that's very contaminated with mycotoxins. And I test food all the time. I'm testing stuff all the time. And I have yet to find a mycotoxin-free peanut. Um, Other foods that are really highly contaminated are like grains, corn, soy, um, those kind of things. If you can find them locally and you know they've been organically grown and managed well, those are fine to eat. Potatoes, you know, that kind of thing. Um, But I've seen just in their mass production, I'm writing a book for the public, you know, most people are not eating the clean diet that your your listeners are eating. Um, And then also just things that grow more candida. So I take out the carbohydrates, fruit juices things that are just like the quick sugar, alcohol, mm-hmm. all that. So I'm, I'm like the no fun doctor, <laughs> but yeah. I do like to talk about what you should eat. You know, yeah. I mean, it's good if you're eating like a more paleo diet, that's great is a lot of those grains have been cut out already. Mm-hmm. And some people feel better just by getting the grains out, you know? Yeah. 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 Okay. Follow-up questions. Yeah. Uh, what about, okay, this is the one I have the hardest time with cacao. Hundred percent chocolate is that wonderful? It's oh, it wonderful. is okay. Yeah. And there's a reason why you can't because the foods you should eat are the things that are bitter and that move bile. Oh, so okay. when you think about again, think of those mycotoxins as the bulk of the problem with mold toxicity. They're fat soluble, and so mm-hmm. the um, also environmental medicine instructors drilled into me the solution to pollution is dilution. So, you know, if that was a water soluble, you just have to drink a lot of water to clear that out. Well, we have a fat soluble toxin. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure that you're eating a lot of fat and that you're moving that fat. And the eating fat is easy. <laughs> you know, that's very easy. That's all the yummy stuff, you know, avocados, walnuts, ol- olive oil, um, fish, and all the good fats, you know, seeds mm-hmm. and nuts and things like that. Um, and I spike everything that I eat with fat now. Like I'm just trying to really plump up my brain. I want my brain to be like the biggest fat head ever <laughs> because that's what we've seen is the keeps you from dementia and, you know, really being mm-hmm. sensitive to mold. So the good fats are eating is one thing, but moving all of those fats requires the taste of bitter. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people get up and what do they start their morning with? Coffee or green tea. Those are both bitter drinks. Mm-hmm. What do we finish our dinner with? Some kind of bitter chocolate, right? So that's even better if it's like sour raspberries with it or something like that. So you get that double whammy, get the juices flowing. And bitters are just, they're an amazing food and we don't get enough of them in our diet. The standard American diet is very bitter averse. So mm-hmm. we go for the sweet stuff, you know, the, the cacao and that kind of thing. 
So however you can get your bitters in, obviously it's better if you're getting it as bitter greens because you're getting all those bioflavonoids. Mm-hmm. But you really need to dilute out those toxins and get the fat moving. Okay. This is interesting to me because, I mean, I've read so many mold diet lists and a lot of them say, um, cause I just look for the healthy foods, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like a lot of them say no chocolate, no coffee, no nuts and seeds. Yeah. So I can explain why that is. So, um, coffee is contaminated commonly with mm-hmm. mycotoxins because of how we grow it, mass grow and mass produce. Um, so, you know, something like a bulletproof coffee is important because think about it. If you're having it every day, day after day, you want to make sure those foods that you have every day that you're being careful. Mm-hmm. Um, so the reason why chocolate, it's the same reason. But if you're using things that are more um, smaller grown, that have some sort of uh, sustainability aspect to them, when I've tested them, they've been much less contaminated with mycotoxins. So bitter chocolate, I find is it's also something that people can do that you're willing to do. You know, you get taken away so many things. It's nice to be told like, yeah, you can have your coffee. Just make sure it's careful coffee. Yeah. You can have your chocolate. Just make sure it's a sustainable grown to, that we're sure that it's not like this mass produce where they're just storing it in some silo somewhere, scraping the mold off the top. And then, you know, heating it up and fermenting it. Some people can't tolerate coffee and chocolate because of the fermented piece, just like mm-hmm. they can't tolerate um, black tea. But I find that that's a really easy one. A little bit of bitter chocolate or a little bit of coffee goes a long way in the bitters. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason for nuts and seeds is that once you shell them, they now can grow fungus on the outside. So it's better to have those that are from a health food store where they're really maintaining their stock, they're keeping them in the refrigerator, so they're preserving them better. So I usually, that's what I do is I go to the refrigerated section. That's where I get my sesame seeds and pine nuts and all that, trying to keep them in the fridge to keep them more fungus-free. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then, so keeping the fats high, keeping the carbohydrates low, do you recommend a ketogenic diet or does that part not really matter? Not really. It doesn't really matter. And for some people, it can make them quite sick because when you go into ketosis, you start to break down the fats. Mm. And that can sometimes be more toxic exposure than your body is used to. It's interesting, like once people get out of the moldy environment, we can see women who've struggled with, and men who have struggled with weight gain, just like it just comes off. And it wasn't anything that they did different. You know, it was like even just getting out of it. We saw an occupational study that 50% of people just getting out of the building had reduction of their symptoms of respiratory symptoms and also had some weight loss. So yeah, I think that there is already your body wanting to get rid of those toxins. So if you go on a ketogenic diet, it can almost be too much. But I'll put someone on ketogenic if they have so much metabolic change, like a true metabolic syndrome that is totally leptin resistant, that kind of thing, then we can engage it that way. But just for regular old, you know, garden variety mold illness, you don't need to go on that. Does mold illness have a connection with leptin resistance? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you explain that? I wish I could. I can't. I wish oh, that I could. I haven't made the connection I didn't, yet. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I have really bad leptin resistance and know what everyone's like, I don't know why you have this. Yeah. So I can't give you the biochemical reason why we just see it. Commonly but there a is lot. a correlation. Yeah. It's yeah. so interesting. Yeah. Wow. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. <laughs> boom, Good boom, boom. Yeah. There we go. You know, I am so passionate about high quality, real food ingredients. And that is why I'm so excited to tell you about today's podcast sponsor, Wild Foods. 
Wild Foods is one of my favorite brands that I have been using for years. Wild Foods is a food company that puts quality, sustainability, and health first in all of their products. They take their mission very seriously to fix the broken food system, and they believe that real food is medicine just like me. The company sources its ingredients from small farms all around the world, which I love. They sell everything from coffee to tea to mushrooms to superfood powders. I get so many of my pantry staples from here and I consume Wild Foods products every single day. One of my favorite products they offer is their Cocotropic Wild Superfood Elixir. This is so delicious. You can sip it like hot cocoa or blend it in with your coffee or any of your smoothies. It is so delicious. It contains wild cocoa powder, reishi mushroom extract, raw maca, chaga mushroom extract, and turmeric. And I love to mix this just with some warm nut milk. Mm, it is so good. I also love so many of their teas, like their coconut chai tea, their Kerr Bear, which is their very berry blend, and their hibiscus tea. And like I said, I get a ton of pantry items from Wild Foods, everything from their wild MCT oil, their wild vanilla powder, their pink salt, their kosher flake sea salt, their cocoa powder, turmeric, matcha powder, and cacao nibs. You can get it all from Wild Foods and know it is the highest quality. When you get a lot of these options from the store, you really don't know much about the sourcing and if the product was contaminated in any way. But don't worry, I've got you covered with a discount code. If you would like to pick out some Wild Foods products, which I highly recommend, then you can head on over to wildfoods.co, that's .co, not .com, and enter the code CRW for 12% off your order. That's going to get you 12% off and let the Wild Foods team know you're listening to the show. Again, that's wildfoods.com, W-I-L-D-F-O-O-D-S dot C-O, and use that code CRW for 12% off. And I can't wait to see what you try first. What about exercise and like exercise recommendations for people who are struggling with this? You must move. That's my only thing. So, uh, you know, I see the the full continuum of people that are wheelchair bound, bed bound to people that are able to go, you know, go and work out um, whatever you can do to move your body. So I am very, very loose on that. And if people Mm -hmm. like more strict, you know, but give me a program. Then I go toward the the HIT training, high intensity interval training tends to do the best because it's what gets you sweating. It tends to move more blood. We don't know yet if you actually sweat the mycotoxins out. My assumption is you can, but when there were studies on sauna, they found that the toxins were actually not coming out through your sweat, but coming out through the radiator function of the sauna. So by pulling blood out to your tissues and then back into your vital organs. When you do the, always finish with a cold. I hope everybody knows that. Do hot sauna, finish with a cold, meaning a cold shower, a cold dip. When you cold dip, it pushes all the blood back into your vital organs and they do the job of detoxification. So then you want to make sure that you are pooping, that you pee, you know, all those kind of things to get those toxins out of you. So HIIT training mimics the sauna much better than any other kind of exercise I've found for my patients. Gotcha. Yeah. And so how important is that sweating piece? Like all these alternative therapies. It's, it's interesting to me because I mean, my, on all these different mold protocols I've been put on, it's simply, and you'll cover this, I'm sure in a second, like binders, (laughs) binders, Mm -hmm. sweat a lot and like coffee enemas. (laughs) 
<laughs> that was yeah. it. Right. Right. And that's only mopping up smoke. That's not putting out the fire. So, you know, if the, if the mold itself, the spores are the fire and the mycotoxins are the smoke, just mopping up smoke, you'll do that forever. That's mm -hmm. not ever, it's reducing the burden on your body. It does make some people feel better, but not everybody, you know, some people are farther down that continuum. Their immune system can't get back to microbial balance and a, and a balanced microbiome, even if they ate all the perfect things. And if you're not adding, you know, in my book, I do, we didn't talk about that, but the, um, there are mold killing spices and herbs that we use every day that you can just like really amp up your use of that. Um, I have a video on a fish recipe that I use where I use excessive amounts of basil. It's on, on my video blog page. And that's a way to get basil is very antifungal. It's an antiviral. So right now with all the viral scare, you know, you can do this through food, but it does take very targeted food stuff. Mm -hmm. um, there is another doctor, um, Dr. Jess Pietros, who actually does do the kill part. You mm -hmm. know, she does, that's part of the whole process is to take out the fungus because we're both finding that, you know, if you don't reset that balance, people just never get better. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, and do you want people sweating every single day? Like, yeah. Yeah. I okay. mean, it's what you, so you said, how important is the sweat piece? Some people can't sweat. And yeah. they, you know, there's a real high correlation between atypical MS and mold exposure and MS people get very disordered and they get more symptomatic when they get too hot. Mm -hmm. So I take that, you know, all of my recommendations are kind of, it could be frustrating for someone because they're like, yeah, but what's, what about me? And the reason I have it very loosey goosey is that it's all individualized to what you can do. The most important thing anyone can do is to listen to yourself. Yeah. The greatest disservice we've done in medicine is to make people think they have to have an expert tell them how they feel. You know how you feel. You know the things that make you feel better. It's nice to have guidance, but you know, trusting yourself, having the protocol and just knowing where do you fit in that? Like, do you need to dance like crazy in your living room every day until you break a sweat? Great. I mean, that's my personal favorite way. Same. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, why not? We were made to dance. Um, or if it's all you can do is go up one flight of stairs in your house and you're done for that day. Okay. That's what you could do that day. And every day is going to be a little bit different with a toxicity based illness because your body will have different capabilities on different days to handle that dumping. Yeah. I think also, especially with the movement, when there's histamine intolerance going on, it could complicate things. Oh yes. Because mm -hmm. you know, certain types of exercise can really make yeah. that worse. Yeah. So. Even a shower. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. So like with, if, if histamine intolerance is on board, my recommendation is try to do as much movement, just walking that doesn't really get your heart rate going and then finish with that last thing, you know, mm -hmm. finish with that walk up the hill or the stairs or whatever. So you don't, it doesn't alarm your body. Don't do it at the beginning because then that will send out a lot of histamine. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And then what about like, what about like enemas? Um, are those a big part of your protocols? Yeah. I didn't put them in the book because I was writing the book for the public and I didn't know how, you know, you have to be kind of healthy enough to do this. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen them really cause some serious detoxes and people get herxing really hard. And mm -hmm. I didn't want to do that to anybody. But for my personal patients and the doctors that I teach, I teach about coffee enemas. Uh, again, making sure you're using clean coffee is really important. And the idea there is that the coffee is stimulating a uh, bile release. And that's what we're looking for with the bitters also as bile. I tease that I'm a bileophile. Like I'm so into bile. <laughs> I mean, like nobody talks about bile and it's one of the most miracle fluids in our body. So yeah, it's a, 
got to get those coffee enemas going. I love them. Yeah. How often is it safe to do that? Like how often do you recommend that? I would say weekly. weekly. Yeah. If you're, you know, I did have a couple of patients who have autistic kids that were using them daily. And I just don't think that's fair to your microbiome. Mm -hmm. I don't think you ever get a chance to rebalance. So if you're in a real detox state and you're doing great, you're, you know, trying to make sure you're mitigating your mold exposure, a weekly coffee enema I have no problem with. Typically Mm -hmm. then when they get into maintenance, my patients will do maybe a monthly or maybe just part of a cleanse that they do in the springtime or the fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I love coffee enemas, but <laughs> yeah, they're miraculous. They are. Especially they're relaxing. Problems. Yeah. 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 They're People think they're going to be stimulating and if you can, if you get them too high, you can get the caffeine effect, but they're actually quite, if you keep them in the large bowel, they're not mm-hmm. a stimulating thing. You can do them before bedtime. Yeah. I've never, I have some friends who say that it makes them so like antsy and stuff, but I don't get that. I'm still relaxed. So yeah, <laughs> they might fine. have some ileocecal valve stuff mm. allowing it to go into the small bowel. That's okay. What I see. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So yeah. let's talk more about the antifungals and the importance of, of those, because I know a lot of people are just on binders. Yeah. Yeah. Well, binders, we, I'd love to circle back on binders as well, mm-hmm. but um, so the antifungals, the idea is the way that I use them is something gentle every day. So something like a holy basil tea or a powder arco tea. And if that is enough for you, because you weren't so far down that continuum, that's all you need. But typically the patients that I see are needing some sort of pulse in of something stronger. Mm-hmm. So maybe two to three days of the week, we will use something like old man's beard or oil of oregano or neem, or some of those stronger antifungals. And that just kind of keeps the fungus not getting a chance to get on top of things, you know, because of course you're going to eat something that has more carbs than you should or whatever. And of course we're going to not get as much sleep, especially now with all the anxiety going on. So that kind of thump once a week um, does a nice job. I typically will, depending on the person, have them take a little extra fiber or some kind of binder the first few cycles, like a charcoal or something like that, so that we know that we're mopping up whatever is killed off for that first die off. But the rest of the antifungals are really what they're doing is taking, just taking the layer off of it. You know, you get this first gut die off, but then your guts start to get a little more regulated. And then you're just kind of like clearing the streets, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So it's like, hey, you, you know, you can't yeah. be there. <laughs> yeah. um, what about like, well, you can speak more to binders. And I'm also really curious about timing in relation to sweating too. Hmm. So timing. So the way I approach binders is through food. Part of my okay. protocol is five to seven servings of vegetables every day, only one fruit a day because fruit will often feed the fungus. And you're trying to get the full spectrum of the rainbow. Each of those colorful pigments called bioflavonoids, they have an affinity for certain different parts of the body. And they've been shown in animal studies, every single color band. So resveratrol for that deep blue, um, deep blue purple, that's what's in red wine, all the way to quercetin, which is yellow, to lycopene, which is red, and folic acid, which is foliage, that's green. So that whole spectrum, each one of those is shown as extremely protective in animal studies. If they add those nutrients to their feed, if they've been exposed to mycotoxins, it saves the animal. So when you ask, you know, what do we do if we can't get out of mold, just start on anything. It is worth Mm -hmm. treating because we see that these are actually protective. So by getting all of those vegetables, you're getting so much fiber that you're able to bind a lot of the bile in that way. 
And then I, of course, have people eat seeds and nuts. And the reasons for that, by keeping those in and they're good quality, is that now you get enough insoluble fiber. And that's been shown predictably to be able to grab the bile that comes into the intestines. The bile is what carries the mycotoxins. The binder or insoluble fiber grabs that bile and then you poop it out and you have to Mm -hmm. make new. Um, So I'm not using, I didn't know Dr. Shoemaker's protocol when I first started treating mold. I think I was 10 years into treating mold before I learned about his protocol. And that was at a Lyme conference. And I was like, oh, wow, that makes a lot of sense because how I'm doing the same kind of thing, but I'm doing it through food and herbs. So I didn't really, other than throwing in some activated charcoal and someone would herx or in anticipation of them herxing, we start them on the first antifungal rounds. Um, I don't usually use binders in as much as you would see in other protocols. So timing, you know, that again, it's going to be some time of herxing. If you had a mold exposure, you went to stay at a hotel or a friend's house and they had mold and then you weren't feeling good, get people on the the charcoal or whatever right away. But a lot of my patients do just fine. They get really constipated with charcoals. So they do just fine on flax seeds or psyllium mm-hmm. husks and just bring them along in their travel pack so that they can use them if they need them. So my predictable times are when you're having a crash or just before we start the first rounds of antifungal okay. therapy. Yeah, it's... It's so interesting to me. I like, I definitely want to spend some time doing your, your protocol because, you know, I've been on so many like charcoal supplements and things and it's stressful for me. I don't like them and I'd rather do it all through food. And I have Mm -hmm. a lot of friends and colleagues who have done the shoemaker protocol and it's intense. Like it's stressful. It's like a lot of pills. Um, and I think a lot of people are just looking for an alternative. And I also kind of want to bring it back to herxing for a second, because I get asked this all the time. You could probably speak better to it. Like if someone's herxing really badly, what, what should they do? Is there anything they could do to alleviate that? Hmm. So if they're usually in my case, they're herxing because we've poked the bear. So we've <laughs> done some kind of antifungal. So I would have them take a look at, did they just eat a strong antifungal? Like, did they eat like massive amounts of garlicky pesto and now they're crashing? Um, Or did they start on an antifungal herb? And if that's the case, just go off Mm. because that's really what it's complaining about. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also make sure your bioflavonoid content is high. So when someone starts to herx, I will have them dump fish oil down their throat. Like just let's protect your fat and then take a ton of bioflavonoids. And that could be six quercetin capsules at one time. Mm -hmm. That could be a gram of resveratrol at one time. So we're trying to really protect the tissues from the invasion of those mycotoxins. When it's mold illness, that HERX is a toxic exposure, not a die-off of critters, typically. Mm -hmm. It's going to be more of a toxin. So thinking about all those things that release toxins from the body and help you, you know, i Make sure someone, if they haven't pooped, you know, put them on a laxative like aloe. Um, the outer leaf of aloe is a laxative. So we'll just try to do something to make sure that the emunctories are open. And the emunctories are all the ways we excrete waste. So yeah. the way we breathe, the way we pee and poo and menstruate and sweat and all those kind of things. Yeah. So w- in terms of like, is this something that people have to stay on top of for the rest of their lives? Or is no. it like, like, how long is this? How are we talking? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that because I think that that's the message out there. And that disturbed me a lot when I started, you know, researching for my book and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, no, you don't ever have, you don't have to live with this forever. People can get better. There are times where there's been another process, like an autoimmune disease started because of the mold, like MS, 
mm-hmm. um, or someone gets dementia because the mold that they're exposed to could go into the brain. And now we're dealing with a secondary issue. And these mycotoxins are carcinogenic. So there could be a cancer that you're also dealing with. So that's a whole other secondary thing that you're dealing with, which also can be improved. I've had, I've had a kidney cancer patient who came to see me after her diagnosis, and she's now 13 years past her projected death date. Wow. Um, and you know this protocol, I'll just go back to that with the binders and shoemaker and different types of protocols. It's not for everybody. This is for people who are willing to do the changes because you are really responsible for a lot of diet changes. And, you know, I mean that it's not for everybody, but um, those that are willing to put the work in and really get away from their mold exposure, it is, it's astounding the changes that we see. Mm -hmm. So it's not a forever, if you've been made sick from mold, you may be sensitive to it for quite a while afterwards. A standard person who's coming to see me, it takes two full years before they get their resiliency back. Um, That's, and that's disappointing to me. I feel like, wouldn't that be nice if that could be sooner? But you know, a lot of the times they've had genetic rewiring. And so we have to get those genes rewired back to health, which mm-hmm. can absolutely happen. If mold can rewire them to sickness, we can rewire them back to health. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, I've seen miracles, medical miracles happen on a daily basis. And it's just finding and treating the cause and really respecting how damaging mold can be. Yeah. Sooner you get started, the better. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the other thing I, I, I wanted to touch on before we wrap up is just like kind of the emotional side of this and supporting patients through it. Because like you said, it's a lot of changes. You know, you have to be really dedicated. And I know for me personally, I would have just meltdowns of like my whole day is surrounded around sweating and an enema and getting in my sauna and these pills and you know it's a it's a lot it's like a full-time job and right um a lot of people in my audience have told me like I can't I can't I just have to quit work like this is too much for me so how do you help support people through that emotionally yeah it is a lot and and that's one of the things we have to remember as practitioners is if we're we can't ask too much there's a lot of really good ideas and things Mm -hmm. that can help people but so too is the good medicine of calm and hope. You know, those are really important things. There isn't any perfect way to do this. If there were, there wouldn't be 18 billion different protocols out there. You know, there's the, there's the way that works for you as an individual. And emotionally, people just have to really um, find that, that resource for them that helps them remember that they're held in the universe, that they're going to be okay, because mold is continuing to tell them that they're not safe in the world. You know, it's that whole like ghost story thing, like, get out, (laughs) you know, that's your body saying, you know, I'm not safe here. And it's a really horrible feeling that can turn into its own limbic system um, impairment. So really putting a part of your, your daily protocol needs to be finding that spiritual center. And often that's accessed through a gratefulness practice. I know that that was incredibly helpful for me when I was going through this was just making sure that I woke up every day and I ran through, I'm grateful for, I'm grateful for, I'm great, you know, fill in the blanks. And it could be really something stupid, like my socks were so warm last night or something, you know, it it doesn't have to be big stuff. Um, And just doing that gratefulness practice really helps you access that safety space in your brain and, and let yourself be anxious, like recognize that that isn't something wrong with you. That's your body doing you a favor mm-hmm. to help you to, to survive, thrive. Yeah. 
really. Yeah, it's. I think it's a good lesson in slowing down in a, kind of a messed up way. Also, what's <laughs> going on right now, right? Exactly. So, slow exactly. down a little bit. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, like on a personal level, through through your your journey with this, what do you think was one of the most important lessons you learned? Mm, wow, that's a really good question. I don't know that I've gotten that question before. Probably to trust myself. Um, especially when in the time when I was working with patients, um, I developed a good relationship with the remediators and the testers in our area. And their joke with me was, you know, I remember being in this house five years ago and you told us this area was a problem and we didn't believe you and we didn't investigate. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think trusting yourself, if you feel like it's a problem, it's a problem and Mm -hmm. you will get treated like a hypochondriac. You will. That's just part of it, especially if you're a woman and you're talking about construction stuff. <laughs> True. So, so I would say, you know, the times when I really had to dig in and trust myself and advocate for myself were the times where um, I, I got the biggest improvement. Mm-hmm. And that's very hard to do when you yeah. have a condition that nobody can see. Very, very true. I think a lot of people can resonate with that, but mm-hmm. important lesson. Got to stand up for ourselves. And there's a whole community of people who like are going through something similar and we believe you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But the construction guys won't and the, you know, the remediator that wants to do a shorter job that day won't. That's my biggest recommendation is if anybody has, if this is your own home and you're going through a remediation, ask them to schedule you for an extra day because they always find more than they think they're going to. Mm. And so they always have to take down everything come back another day and you're getting billed for all that. Yeah. So definitely, you know, tell them you're going to be a hard client so that they're ready for you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And what buy a, them lunch. <laughs> yes. Do that. What yeah. a great, what a great way to wrap up. Well, I'm sure yes. everybody is going to want to get your book and check out more of the resources from you on your website and definitely take that quiz. So can you just remind everyone where they can get more from you and find your book? You bet. It's at drkrista.com. That's D-R-C-R-I-S-T-A.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Krista. I really appreciate it. Thank you too. And good luck to you on your journey. Thank you. Huge thanks to Dr. Krista for coming on the podcast and sharing all of her knowledge. I'm sure you're going to want to learn more from her. So don't forget, you can find her on Instagram at Dr. Jill Krista and on her website, drkrista.com. That's D-R-C-R-I-S-T-A.com. If you enjoy the show and want exclusive access to behind the scenes content related to the podcast in my life, make sure you're following my secret Instagram account, Wellness Realness Crew. All you have to do to gain access to that account is take a screenshot of your iTunes rating interview and DM it to that account, Wellness Realness Crew, and request to follow. And when I get that screenshot, I will accept that request. And of course, if you want to connect with other podcast listeners, you can join our Facebook group, Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe, to connect further with the community. That's going to be it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Rest up, take care of yourself, show yourself some love, and we will chat again next time. Bye.